You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present the Sandman Lullaby with your host, Patrick Sean Jones. This show is meant for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Little eyelids cease your winking, little orbs forget to beam, little soul to slumber sinking, let the fairies rule your dreams. Breezes through the lattice sweeping, sing their lullabies the while, and a star ray softly creeping, to thy bedside woos thy smile. But no song, no ray entering, can allure thee from the spell of the tiny's fairies dancing over the eyes they love so well. See, we come in countless number, I their queen and all my court. Haste my precious one to slumber, which invites our fairy sport. Sandman Lullaby here on RPA. Yeah, that's called Real Paranormal Activity. We like to thank each and every one of you duders out there in Duderland. That's what I call the people out there in the the realms of uh, Duderdom. And uh, we have a new interview tonight. And we're going all the way, all the way, all the way out to, uh, I think it's Utah. Isn't that right, Raven? Yes. All the way to Utah. One thing I've really noticed about Utah, which is really weird, is that just the spirits and the entities that that are in that land. 
and you you have experience with a lot of the spirits and the entities in that land that I know of. Let's let you introduce yourself first so the listeners out there actually know who you are. Hi, my name is Lady Raven, also known as Raven White. I am an occultist, paranormal investigator, theistic Satanist. Um, I have been, you know, dealing and, you know, working with the paranormal since I was 12 years old. And over the course of the years, you know, I've had all these different experiences in different areas and different states. And I've learned that some places are more active than others. And what I find really interesting about activity is the places that are uh, were like Native American land, right? And that end up being the, like some of the most active places out there. Well, what what got you interested in the uh, basically the paranormal, investigating the paranormal? Honestly, yeah. uh, When I was living in uh, New Hampshire, uh, we moved there when I was eight. Um, we lived next to a graveyard. It was uh, there was a privately owned graveyard, and it was. Uh, really old, like Civil War and World War One, you know, vets and stuff. It was privately owned, attached to our driveway. And that was really cool because, you know, I was always fascinated. And, you know, I would go in there as a little kid and clean off the headstones, you know. That's cool. Out. That's but, actually very cool doing that. That's a very... Uh, you know, I always felt, like, like, really peaceful there. I always felt like it was my place of solace. And a lot of people, you know, would said that was really weird behavior but you know that was morbid but whatever and anyway we we lived in this two-story house uh white nice two-story house and next to the graveyard and i actually started to see what almost looked like a reaper that would walk across my room and i don't know if it was actually a reaper because you know i was very young and you know it's you know with hollywood and everything you know you just you know, you know, but it was definitely, you know, a very tall, lanky shadow figure that, that stood almost seven feet tall, close, and it would move across my room and walk around, you know, and I thought it was, you know, normal because we lived next to a graveyard. I thought this was just something that happens when you're around, you know, areas where people are buried, you know, it just seems normal to me, and... I never could get it to communicate with me, but I, I gave it a name of Silas because I had, at the time, I had an obsession with the Da Vinci Code, and right. I thought Silas was, like, the coolest name ever, so I named this entity uh, Silas, and that's what started my whole thing because even even younger, since I was, like, five, you know, I, I started watching all the, all the occult, you know, TV shows and movies and everything, so I was already interested but, you know, when I was 12, I started having these uh, first experiences or, you know, I might have actually had experiences before that I just didn't pick up on or pay atten attention to, you know. Right. But um, the first very, very obvious tall shadow, you know, figure entity um, was when I was 12. And after that, I was like hooked because I was like, you know, I'm actually seeing this this is real, you know, obviously there's like a lot of skeptics or whatever, you know, because people are uncomfortable with thinking that there's anything out there besides humans. And, you know, that's fine. They could 
deal with that. But, you know, to me, I, I knew it was real. I knew it wasn't psychosomatic. I knew I wasn't having hallucinations. So I wanted more. And so, so did this, going, were you wide awake when this happened? Yes, I was, I was awake. Every time I saw this Silas character, I was completely awake. Okay, my next question is when you went from New Hampshire to where you, uh, you said you moved all over the place. Uh, yes, I did. I did a bit of travel. Did you have an attachment? Did it follow you by any chance? Uh, this particular entity didn't leave. I think that it was uh, attached to the land. Right. Um, because a lot of, you know, the differences, you know, you have your reg- your entities, your demonic, your, your poltergeist, your lost souls, you know. So, I mean, depending on what kind of, what kind of, you know, vibrations that it had would depict if it could leave, you know, a place of, of where it was attached to or, you know, go somewhere else. So what do you think about attachments, though? Um, I believe that, um, absolutely believe that, that certain entities, if they're, if they're strong enough, that they could attach to other living things. Right. Um, like, like a living conduit. Because you, uh, you study the left-handed path, right? Yes. Okay. Do you want to explain to people what the left-handed path actually is? Because some people might not actually understand the right-handed and the left-handed path or basically white, black, or gray uh, magic. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of left and right. Um, Left-hand path is more based off of facts and discovery and um, dwelling, dwelling into different, you know, paths like Satanism, uh, voodoo, necromancy, Palo Mayabre, uh, you know, uh, uh, in- occultism, you know, the uh, uh you know, um, people in the left-hand path. You know, it's also seen as, like, the more sinister path. Um, there's, you know, like I said, it's, it's not, and there's nothing, like, evil or whatever about the left-hand path. You know, it's just way back in the day, the Catholics had this thing where people who were left-handed, you know, were seen to be devil worshippers, and, you know, they actually, you know, would you know, uh, tell you to stop writing. Um, they did this to my grandma when she was in school, in Catholic school. She was left, is left-handed and, you know, so they, they did that and then they did, oh, the left-hand path, you know, the devil, whatever, you know, they ruin everything. But that's a, really not trying to bash, but um, anyway, so like the left-hand path is more, you know, self-discovery, discovering the shadow self, you know, um, trying to ascend, to uh, ascend, be, uh, raise your vibrations, to try to become a living God. Um, you're more about um, hailing thyself instead of, you know, worshiping um, an Abrahamic God. Um, right hand path is more like, uh, uh, like paganism, Wicca, uh, Christianity. Um, some of the other Abrahamic realism, shamanism, uh, Shinto is kind of like in between right and left. Um, it's a very balanced path. Um, even, even, even 
some of paganism and stuff can be also LHP. You know, they're called dark pagans. Um, and a lot of uh, people that are, practice witchcraft are, you know, considered to be gray witches because they understand that they need to balance between, you know, what they consider light and dark. Right. Um, and they, so they practice both sides of the spectrum. Which is when I was uh, when I was pagan, um, I was gray because I was always interested in both sides, um, and then I w- went completely left. But you know, I learned some really great stuff in the RHP, and you actually learned that by combining what you learn on the right hand path and the left hand path, um, it helps uh, create more absolute truth and answers um, right. instead of just. Um, trying to fill in the guess what the pe- in between pieces are. Um, I feel like there's truth in like all of the past. So, but you know, like I said, even my opinion is subjected to that because a lot of people might disagree with me. But um, for me, I found it helpful to um, learn about other religions and cultures and and past to find out what kind of truth and information resonated with me and what I needed to learn. Can you tell me some experiences that you might run into when you're using the left-hand path, like when, because uh, I know you did some ritual work just recently. Uh, yes, I've been doing rituals uh, for several years. Um, like I said, there are different rituals, you know, different kinds of witchcraft and, you know, paths and practices. Um Recently, the most recent ones we did, uh, we did an evocation and invocation to Beezlebub. We did an invocation to Sarath, and we did an invocation to Lilith, and then we also did um, an invocation for Loki, Azazel, and Prometheus. And how did that turn out? Um. Honestly, you know, it, it was different results for every ritual. Um, when you're doing evocation, obviously you're trying to get a physical manifestation or astral manifestation. You know, um, with invocation, you're trying to have them, you know, flow some of their, you know, their energy into you and connect with you mentally so that. Um, you could speak with them and learn from them. Um, when I worked, when we did our Lil, uh, Lilith ritual, uh, I believe it was yesterday, um, it was an invocation. And when I meditated on it, I could see, I could feel the presence. Um, and it was very powerful. Um, it was a really great experience because, you know, uh, that entity is one that I haven't, um, actually tried to work with. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I usually just pick ones that I'm just really drawn to, but I like trying new things um, and working with as many as possible because you could learn something new from all of them. Um, no, no, that's true. No, that's true. Uh, no, the, what I was going through in my mind when you were talking about that one thing you were talking, uh, we were going back and forth on Facebook about was that sometimes you don't see or you don't feel the, the man. Oh, you don't oh, feel it, but yeah. it's one thing that I've really learned over 
I'm not going through how many years because I'm an old guy. But uh, the thing, what I've really noticed when you do rituals or stuff like that, that there is they there is uh, human time, that there is no such thing as time. If you do a ritual that you don't know, you could have felt the presence or the presence could have been brought to you a week before you actually did the ritual. Because there's no concept of time when it comes to that. And that was the only thing I was trying to get you to understand about that it's, oh, it, yeah yeah absolutely absolutely it's I it's mean, like ghosts if you know when you have you ever experienced actually have you actually fully seen or heard a ghost talk to you before um honestly i've seen like ghost cars and like uh and it's funny um i i was with a couple friends we were in tennessee um, we were near Normandy Lake and Fire Lake, right. and uh, we saw this car, and, you know, back in the day, we used to, like, you know, drink, drive around, do whatever, ex- go into the woods, explore graveyards, you know, and uh, look for activity, and we saw this car, and we didn't know it was a ghost car. It looked like a regular car, and we decided to follow it. Um, I don't know why, but we kind of got just got this hunch, like, hey, this this they're acting weird like let's follow them you know and so we follow this car and we go all the way down this dirt road to a dead end on this road called the devil's backbone right and we we get all the way to the end it's a dead end and the car is gone wow completely gone and was the, the was the car clear, crystal clear when you saw it was it yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah. It okay was crystal, it was crystal clear lights on I mean, we, we couldn't see, like, clearly, like, the people driving it. Right. But, um, like I said, we, we followed it all the way down the Devil's Backbone, and we get to a dead end, and there was a graveyard there. And how and, did you and, feel when, uh, did you feel like your mind did a, like, flip on that, or were you excited yeah, when you like, saw that? Like we like, we, like, we freaked out. We're just like, what? You know, that, 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 can't, that can't be possible. You know, you know, obviously trying to come up with a rational reasons but what what's really weird about this that end is it's completely wooded on both sides of of this graveyard and the whole road so it's not like the car could have like pulled off to the side um it, it was it was really nuts so like the next day we're uh we were like i want to see if we could find the ghost car again we didn't see it again but we went up to that graveyard right and it was it was during the blood moon and there were some kids uh, using a Ouija board at that graveyard, so we we kind of came up with the theory that these these entities were tr- wanted us to stop them from you know fucking with the graveyard or whatever. And you know, ever since then, we've been going out there checking it out. And okay, it was really it was just really cool. Um, you talk about Ouija boards. What do you think the connection between? We're not jumping into dreams yet, but you you got me. You have me so interested in this. But before we get to dreams, tell me about Ouija boards. What's your theory of Ouija boards? Honestly, I think that most divination tools work. Um, Ouija boards. What's cool about them is if you know how to use them correctly, and if you have a real one, I mean. I guess you could try to use the Hasbro version, but I wouldn't. I would try to, like, make one or, you know, get a wooden one, you know. Um, but when you use it, it's, suppo- it's, it, it's supposed to open a portal to, you know, 
to the void or purgatory or limbo, whatever you want to call it. Um, for me, I call it the void. And when you open open that portal to the void, then you're able able to, you know, go to create a connection to the astral. Now, what I understand about Ouija boards is that you have to be very careful about them. Yeah, I don't mess with them. <laughs> um, because you, um, you don't always um, automatically connect to the, the, the spirit that you're trying to talk to. Right. And sometimes you can get a different one. Right. And, and it can lie. Yeah, you don't know you don't know who you're what you're talking to, you, um, because you know these spirits and these these entities they they're really really smart and they're like mentalists. So, say you know you you're like oh, you know, Mary, is that you? And they're like, and they heard you say the name Mary. They're like, oh yeah, Mary, that's me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I don't mess with it. But see, I work in a hospital also, and one thing about the area that I work in, it's more people have actually heard something called their name than uh, people that haven't heard something called their name. And that's one thing about you know like hospitals and areas like that that uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that a lot of people don't talk about. And um, I know of this entity called Zozo. Yep. That, um, it's kind of part of that whole thing. Yep, I know what you're talking about. And so, you know, I had a really weird experience with that, too. Um, I had my friend Keith and Jack were using a Ouija board in a building next, next to me. And I didn't know until, like, after, but my, all of my technology started going really weird. Right. And the phrase Zozo started running down my phone. Oh, Really? Boy, you just yeah, sent this chill zo, going zo, down zo, my spine zo, just zo, now. Zo, dot, dot, dot. Zo, 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 dot, dot, dot. And it just kept going. And I didn't understand until the next day. You're going to make me turn thing. off my phone, and you're going to make me turn off all the electronics in the studio right now. <laughs> That's not a good name to be invoking. Hey, let me jump into some dreams real quick. Yeah, okay. Okay, now let me know something. Have you ever... Uh, have you ever... Uh, Astral projected before while you've been sleeping? Um, I've done it a few times, but usually my dreams are like so so lucid that you know I'm usually like in my dream. Um, I usually don't leave them. Uh, I've I've I found it very hard to, you know, go to a different place because you know you have to go to that that still place to be able to you know create the soul chain so that and, and anchor so that you, you can astral to a different you know plane or whatever but you know I actually have a little bit of difficulty with that because my, my dreams are so always so intense so you said lucid dreams how do, how do your, you notice that your uh, dreams are a lot more lucid than normal dreams are they different from when you were a child than you are honestly, right now? Honestly, they've been lucid since I was five years old. Oh. I remember dreams that I've had when I was five years old. Wow. Um, it started with um, the first lucid dreams started as reoccurring dreams. And then from then on, it just continued. Um, even, even to now. Um, and what separates you know, a vivid dream from a lucid dream is in a lucid dream, 
everything seems real. Um, you have almost full control, and you you almost have similarity in your in your physical senses. So like you could taste things and touch things, and it feels real. Have you tried dream magic? Honestly, no. But that sounds interesting, and now I want to try. Yeah, some that's that's uh, something you could do. It's. Uh, Working in the, because, you know, if you live to be, let, let's say you live to be 90, okay, and you spend a third of your life asleep, that's 30 years. So you're trying to say, it's like you talking about lucid dreaming. You have the ability for those 30 years, are you just totally asleep with no existence and knowing what's going on? Or can it help you complement your waking world? See, that was one of the theories of uh, by H.P. Lovecraft. See, I'm a big Lovecraftian. So... Um. Something uh, else that I thought was really cool about dreams, and it happened last week, is sometimes, um, you know, your subconscious or entities will leave you messages that you can interpret through your dreams. Right. Um, I had a few of those last week. Um, Tell me about them. What were some of them? Okay. So one of the dreams, um, it started off, we're in the woods. Um, It was a bunch of people I don't know, but everyone was, like, shooting each other. Um, didn't know why because you know the dream just starts off that way um, we end up uh, going out and I start seeing people that I recognize within the cult and they're all just shooting each other and fleeing down a icy, like an icy lake and that dream didn't make sense to me before but then um, let's see if I could try to remember the other one um Basically, what I had interpreted from that dream is that there is a war within the community. And, um, you know, it didn't, I didn't really get it at first because that was the first one. And I'm like, oh, this is probably just a dream, you know. And, you know, in, in the dream, I tried to save two of my friends. Um, and I was successful in saving them, but, like, I, I didn't really understand. But then I had the second dream. And in the second dream, I was in a house, and I was sitting there, and there was, like, five different entities, but the last two um, tried to attack. Right. And when I woke up, I didn't understand, because, I, like, I knew that these, these entities were metaphoric, because... Um, in, in my in my in my past working, I've always been you know more comfortable with them than I have been with people. So I feel like I felt felt like they were representations of people that I trusted that were close to me, because initially, like I said, I was hanging out. I was somewhere familiar. I was you know I felt completely comfortable and safe. Like I belonged there. Like I belonged around these entities or you know or whatever. And two of them attacked, and I didn't understand. Then. Two days later, two people I know turned their backs on me, specifically two people. And then there was a bunch of drama, you know, over Facebook, over YouTube, WordPress, everything. Right. Between all of my, all of my friends. And I was like, these dreams, they, they warned me. They, they told me there was going to be a war within the community. They told me that there was two, two, two people that um, were, were going to turn, and then it all happened. Do you keep a dream journal? 
No, but I probably should. Yeah, I think you might need to start doing that. That way you can, because uh, it sounds like a lot of the stuff that's going in your dreamlands is actually coming forward, and it might help you a little bit. What about deja vu? Um, I have deja vu um, sometimes, but um, like I'll have like the it'll happen in my dream, but it usually actually takes like a year or two before the deja vu happens because I think what how deja vu works is it it prophesizes some kind of action that you're going to take, but you have to walk down the right path and do do the right right actions and do 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 certain things to come across it. So it could happen right away or it could happen five years from now, depending on your, on your choices. Um, for me, it's usually like an image, like me looking, seeing someone walk by or um, I actually had one, uh, let's see, four or five days ago where I was walking through the hallway and I looked, I looked at something. Um, I was in the kitchen, living room area, and it, I just, like, looked, and the way, like, the pillow looked and, you know, the remote and the food and on the thing and somebody walking by was an image and that, that flashed over me, deja vu, like, I'd seen it before, but when I had this deja vu, it was six months to a year ago before I ever came out to Utah, before I met these people, before I ever moved in here. So I was like, oh, it's crazy, <laughs> you know. One last question before uh, we kind of slip out of here. This is usually a normal question I ask. This is usually a closing question. But uh, it, it, it takes a, you know, it, it depends on each person's little input. It's... Uh, Live or dead, if you could meet somebody in your dreams, who would you like to meet? Hmm. Honestly, it's really, really hard because I'm always stuck between two. No, well, give me two then. It's cool. Uh, the two people that I've always wanted to meet is Vlad Tepes III and Joan of Arc. Okay, now we're we're going from right to left. Now, explain to me first why Vlad. Vlad was, you know, he he was a ruler and he led armies and he defended, you know, against the Persian, the Turks, and you know, then they they had that whole. Then he did, you know, the thing in the forest, which might be. You know, a little too violent to talk about on the radio. Well, we're but, <laughs> uh, trust me on this. We say a lot that goes out there. So, uh, so you know, and he he was very very ruthless, but he you know he knew how to take care of his people. He knew how, he knew he was a good leader, even though his tactics were you know kind of frowned upon. But you know, and then you know with. You know the whole story behind Bran Castle, and you know him him being possibly being a vampire, and that whole Dracula movie, and just the whole thing. So you know, it just always just fascinated me. So I thought he'd be a really interesting person to meet. Okay, now what about Joan of Arc? Now Joan of Arc, uh, I feel is a very important 
uh, person in history because she's probably one of the first, you know, documented female warriors that, you know, stood up and, uh, you know, fought in war and she, she was a really great warrior and, you know, they, they, you know, she, you know, there's this thing against, about, against England and everything. And it was also said that Joan of Arc used to actually practice magic too. Right. And that, um, she would do enchantments on, you know, her brother and her men and everything to try to help them win their battles. So I just thought, you know, that usually in history, you know, there's not a lot of times where you find, you know, historical figures that, that openly practice magic, um, especially back then. Um, so I just, I just always felt like she was a really important woman in history. Um, so I've always been attracted to her. Cool. That's actually very cool. Well, Miss Raven White, I'm going to leave these last seconds to you. Here in the RPA, Real Paranormal Activity Network, we like to give uh, the people that we're interviewing that last little seat to basically address the world and just basically get whatever you got on your chest to let it out. And if you want to give any, well, first of all, uh, how can they contact you? Uh. You can contact me by phone, email, or Facebook. And that's Raven White? Yes. Raven White. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to let you give your little last spiel, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back away from the microphone and give you total coverage. There you go, girl. Go. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, I actually, if you are interested in hearing more stories from me or experiences, um, I actually have a group on Facebook called Occult Forum Hidden Truth. And I also have a page where I blog about different uh, subjects within the occult called Occult Mysteries Unveiled, where me and both my uh, friend Keela from Children of the Serpent um, post our blog and live rituals. Um, so uh, feel free to go on Facebook and find us there. We also have YouTube channels. Um, it, but like I said, if you go to our page, you could find every, every link that you could have. And, you know, if you guys want to connect and talk about the occult or talk about the paranormal, I'd like to hear from all of you. Thank you for listening and have a good night. That's Miss Raven White. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, don't forget on, let me see, what day are we going on? On Monday, we have Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Uh, that's with your host, Mr. 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 Aaron Hunter. Uh, yeah, he's the man of the power, the man of the hour, the man that's too sweet to be sour. And on Tuesday, you have Aaron's Horror Show. That's not with Aaron Hunter. That's with Aaron Frail. He basically goes through horror stories horror mysteries anything like that so basically you don't have to really check them out because trust me a lot of stuff out there really sucks and on wednesday you have terry's mysterious moments that's terry from texas and he does like cryptoids and he does 
brain scratchers, anything that really makes your brain go, hmm. Then you have us here uh, at the Sandman Lullaby every other every other Thursday around there when I could sneak into the studio. If you want to get in touch with me, you're always welcome to go ahead and write me at sandmanlullaby at gmail.com. That's S-A-N-D-M-A-N-L-U-L-L-A-B-Y at gmail.com. Miss Raven? Yes. I'm going to say thank you, and you hold on, and I'm going to otherwise let the rest of the world free. Cool, cool? Yes. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thank you, and you've been in the Sandman Lullaby. Ha, 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 ha.